This morning, <clears throat> I'm going to go back and revisit a, a portion of scripture that I talked about probably several months ago, and I want to go back there again because I want to make sure that we understand exactly uh, what God wants to do through uh, something uh, as the nature of the Lord's Prayer. And that's what we call it. I, I told you on that occasion when I pre- preached about the Lord's Prayer, I said that if you really want to look at Jesus' prayer, uh, you'd have to look at, I think, John chapter 17, where he prays over his disciples. That's really the Lord's Prayer. This, um, the Catholic Church sometimes calls it the Our Father Prayer. This morning, I want us to know that I don't want us to think of the Lord's Prayer by rote. I don't want us to think of it in a liturgical sense, meaning it has to be something we do by ritual or by rite. Um, What happened with the the Protestant and the Charismatic Church is that because of the ritualistic of it, they've actually almost gotten rid of it. Um, It it felt passionless and it felt meaningless. So we've discarded our Father or the Lord's Prayer. And I see this... uh, this battle kind of going on between, uh, if you want to say, the Catholic Church and then the charismatic movement, the charismatic church today, that would, would kind of almost, I heard one pastor say, well, you know, if you, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, he says, just give us our daily bread. And well, we, we today, we believe that the Lord is supposed to give us all this other stuff. That's kind of an old-fashioned prayer. But I, I, I want us to understand that I don't want us to think of it just in the sense of an, an elementary prayer, but... but one man even called it a poverty prayer. I know this morning that I, I'm per, I can do it pretty easily. I don't even have to try. I can offend people without even uh, really giving it much effort. I, I can offend the, 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 the ritualistic side and I can offend the, the charismatic side and not even really know it and not even know what happened, how I even got there. But I want you to understand this morning, I don't want you to think about this, the Lord's Prayer, as like a, a, in the old, remember in the old West, they had the snake oil salesman. I don't want you to think of it in the, in the sense of a, an elixir or a cure-all. But I want you to understand today that it has its place with us today. See, I don't, the, 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 the Christian church today has made gimmicks out of all kinds of things of God. You want to receive a miracle? Just give to this, this cause. If you, want, if you really want to see a miracle in your life, call up and we'll give you some, a little bottle of water that's holy water. You know, we, we've seen all these gimmicks. And I don't want us, I, I guess the guard that I have about the Lord's Prayer is I don't want it to be a, a, one of those things where it's another gimmick. Just say this prayer. In fact, this is what brought me back to this place. Is I, I read another little article and it said, you know, basically 21 or 18 seconds to everything that's going to go good in your life. All you have to do is repeat the Lord's Prayer. And unfortunately, I believe that there are those that buy into that today. But I want us to understand that prayer is something God desperately likes. He, when I said this earlier, I said, Jesus said it like this. He says, when you fast. He didn't say if you fast. He said the same thing about prayer. He said, when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. It was a, it was a given that he knew that if you were going to be a disciple of his, you would do these things. And even in the portion of scripture here in Matthew chapter 6, the disciples of Jesus were asking him, said, listen, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. They were asking because they had seen what was going on and they wanted the, that same power and authority operating in their life. 
I want us today, some of us struggle with prayer, how to pray, what to pray. My pet peeve is this, I'm going to say this today, is that we become so religious about certain things that we lose track of even what God wants to do through it. I'll give you an example. I I, I counseled a man one time. He was so religious about making sure he prayed for his food. To this, to this degree, if you had chips and salsa before the dinner, you know what? He would get offended because you didn't pray over the chips and salsa before you ate. Now, that same man, though, I counseled with him, abused his daughter sexually. See, I think at times we look at the charismatic church and we say, well, look at these people. They raise their hands. They do all this stuff and they do, their lives don't line up. I will tell you just as much on the other side, those who are this liturgical, rigid, and, and defined in all these things that they have to do, they have the same situations going on in life. They've just hidden it better. I know some of us struggle with praying today, and that's why I'm offering this back up today in a different light, in a different place. See, I remember there was I remember reading about a man named David Brainerd from the 1700s. He would pray for four hours a day, and you'd hear these stories about how he prayed, and it almost makes you, I would almost go when I'm done, I'm like, man, am I even saved, Lord? Look at this man. Look how he prayed. Look at his life. Some of us, the enemy has said to us, quietly or in that secret place he said you don't even have a prayer he's told us that i want you to understand today you do have a prayer jesus gave it to us it is a blueprint for prayer it is a place that we can marinate ourselves it is a place where we can bathe ourselves it is a place that we don't we don't like to even talk about meditation these days because it's got such a bad connotation to it but david understood about meditating in the word meditating in that place with god william cowper said this satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees So this is the reason why I say this today, is that I understand this. Maybe you're weak. Maybe you don't know how to pray. Maybe you just feel like you want to give up. Maybe you've heard the enemy tell you, you don't have a prayer. I want you to know today that even the weakest of us, when we get on our knees and we pray, we become a a mighty outpouring of God. It it makes Satan tremble when he sees even the weakest person on their knees before God. The best way to learn to pray is not another class. It is not a five-step program. It is not all these points that give you. It's not a gimmick prayer. It's not say these five Hail Marys. It is this. It is you getting along with God and truly praying. You want to learn how to pray? Get in the, the closet and pray. That's how you learn how to pray. You know what? You get in that place and you just begin to pray. And you say, well, Greg, you know what? Sometimes I don't even make sense. That's okay. He's there to decipher all that. He created you. Don't you think he can understand what's going on in our little minds? He knows. He knows exactly where you want to go. He knows exactly what your heart is trying to say, even when it doesn't make sense. He says, I will decipher that. I will make sense of it. He understands speaking in tongues so he can definitely understand what I'm saying. He created it. This is is not the only prayer that we should have. But I want you to know today, this is the starting point. Some of us don't have a rich prayer life. But this is 
the basis. This is the place where we can start. Most Jewish prayers are not based upon an individual prayer. They were always corporate. And as you see in Matthew chapter 6, it is a corporate prayer. He says, give us this day. We. You don't see I in any of this picture where Jesus gives us this example. And if you go through the Old Testament, you see the Jewish prayers of of Hezekiah and other men of God, Moses. They were all in this corporate setting. They understood it as a whole, as a nation, as a church. I'm going to say this today. The word of God is the basis for our prayer life. You can pray the word of God. The pr- if you don't know how to pray, you can begin to, to even grab the prayers of those of the word of God and begin to pray those things. In my prayer time, there are times when I, I feel like I, maybe if I get to a place where I just can't seem to push through, what I'll actually do is I'll get out a pen and paper and I'll begin to write my prayer like a love letter to Jesus. I understand, understanding that, that the stories that, that, that grip us in the Old Testament, like Esther and Mordecai and how Hangman, he was getting that noose ready for Mordecai, that story in itself, to me, is an example of what God wants to do to the enemy. I'm going to pray this later. You're going to hear me say this. I'm going to say that the very noose that was destined for me, God, use it on the enemy. Use it to entrap the enemy. The very pit that he digs for me, let the enemy fall into that pit. That's how we can begin to pray. We can begin to see these stories of the Old Testament as the basis for our prayer life. Emphasize it in your mind. Put it in your spirit. Get it into you. Live it. Believe it. Meditate on it. David said, I would meditate on it day and night. I saturate myself in his word. I drench myself in the word and in prayer. He begins it like this in, in, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, our Father who art. What is he really saying there? He's saying, our Father who is. See, Moses understood in the Old Testament. Remember in the desert when he was there before, before the burning bush? He said, who am I going to say has sent me? He told him, he says, tell them I am that I am has sent you. See, this is the isness of God. He's saying, our Father who is. Today, life flows out of God. He, this, this isness about God is his self-existence. It is his self-sufficiency. It is this part of God that says, I need nothing outside of myself. See, that's something you can rely upon. A God that says, I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything else outside of myself. Life flows from me. Isn't that something you can, you can, it's like an anchor. It's like something you can place. Hey, I can hang my hat on that. That is something of value. I don't have to worry about the, the shifting sands of the world or your friends who seem to, to, to go up and down with the waves or their emotions. We plant ourselves next to him. He never changes, the Bible says. I am that I am is that providence of God, the authority of God, the power of God. It sounds very similar to what David said in the 23rd Psalm when he started like this, the Lord is. What he was saying is he understood who God was. 
That isness of God is that being of God. It is God being absolute. He has no beginning and no end. He was not created. He has always been from the beginning. He answers to no one. He created this world. And I'm going to give you a Latin word in the in Bible school. They said this. That, that this Latin word is ex nihilo, And it means out of nothing. See, we can't really comprehend that when we think about God. But in a sense, we take wood and we can make something out of it. We take metal and we can make something out of it. We see clay and it can be formed. But God did not have to have anything in advance to do what he did. Ex nihilo, he formed it out of nothing. All he simply did was speak the word and it happened. See, that is the isness of God, people. That's the God we serve. It is something that, see, when we, when we see what God is, who he is, what he is, his power, his authority, that is something we can rely upon. Not, don't compare it to what you see in the world today. Do not compare it to what you see even of people around you. He said, we ought to pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We are addressing him in his infinite glory, power, and majesty, his beauty, splendor, and magnificence, beholding him in all he is. The Lord is holy and set apart for himself. Hallowed be thy name is saying this, God, you are holy, and I place you in that place. I told you a couple weeks back, I said, the, the, the Jews wouldn't even say the word Yahweh. They spelled it without consonants, Y-W-H. They, they would not even say it because they knew God of God's holiness. He was so powerful. They understood that. See, it's not something we, we flippantly today say, but they understood that set-apartness of God. When he says next, he says, give us this day our daily bread. I trust you today for my sustenance. You are my portion. See, I remember the Old Testament. Remember when the manna came from heaven? That was another one of those situations. God says, I will provide for you. See, God wanted them to look to him. He wants us today to do the same. He doesn't want, he said, don't store it up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to spoil if you put it in the back of your tent. What I want you to do is go out and know that each and every day, it's going to be there. I will supply your need according to my riches in glory. You don't need anything else outside of me I will sustain you I will satisfy you don't look to the world look to me I am the only thing that will satisfy in this day and age that we live in God's saying give me the daily bread he said listen I want you to look to me as your sustenance not anything else Matthew chapter 10 verse 29 he says not even the sparrow falls without him knowing See, he knows what you need. He promised to fulfill your needs. It sounds very much like Psalms 23, where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The, the NIV says, I lack nothing, because this, he is my satisfaction. He satisfies me. He is all I need. I don't need anything else besides him. See, our Father who art is the Lord who is. He is the source I am. See, what angered the Jews, Jesus said this. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. 
Why did that anger him? They anger them so much because they understood who I am was. They understood that isness of God. They understood that, that him saying I am is saying you're saying that you have been since the beginning. There is no beginning to you. You are putting yourself on the same platform as God. Yes, that's who Jesus was. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Debts, sins, trespasses. It's used in different translations. But the bottom line is we are indebted to God. He has cleared the books. No repayment is necessary. Now, he only requires that I forgive. See, there's even an emotional indebtedness. How many of you as husbands and wife have been in fights before? You've gone and you've apologized. But your wife, and your wife, and I might use the wife on the example because usually this is, just usually, it's not always this way. But she wants to withhold something from you to keep you in debt. Not, not financially, but even emotionally. See, when we withhold ourselves in situations, when we withhold ourselves emotionally, say, well, I've forgiven him, but I'm, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, I have to move back a little bit here. See, that's, that's not, see, tr- the word trespass means going in a place where you did not have authority to be. <laughs> Isn't that what sin looks like? Go, walking in a place where you were not supposed to be. Trespassing. Hmm. See, that's why he says, when you trespass, you have to forgive those who trespass against you. Those who've gone where they don't belong. Gossip is a form of trespassing. You want to know why? Because it, it, it digs up something from the past that was never, you never ha- were entitled to say. See, when, when we go and dig up somebody's past, when we go and talk about somebody, when we gossip about them, we're trespassing into their lives and saying, oh, look at this. Look what I found. It's trespassing. He forgave our debt. And yet, it's so hard for us to forgive debts. We want to punish those who hurt us. God says it like this in David said it like this when he, he said in Psalms 23, 3, he says, he restores my soul. I, w- I thought it was interesting. I looked at this word restore in the original Hebrew and it doesn't mean restored. He restored my soul. It means he restores like in an active sense. He restores me. It's a continual process. See, as I forgive others, he restores me. See, as I walk this relationship out with him, He restores me. That's what David understood. David understood it wasn't a one-time event. It was a constant working out my salvation with fear and trembling. That word working out has a continuous to it. That's how we're supposed to walk out this relationship with him. The only thing Jesus continued to talk about in this chapter At the end of his his prayer, he says this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. It's the only place that he became, he went back and even after he said it, he says, listen, I want to remind you of this. It's conditional. Well, I thought all we had to do is confess it. 
You see that throughout the word of God, there were conditions placed upon this relationship. This, it's conditional upon how we walk this life out. He restores my soul. It is a constant, never-ending restoring of my soul. Forgive and you can be forgiven, is what he was saying. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom coming. I want the, the, the King James Version, and very few times do we actually see it like this, but the word, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. It actually says, in earth. Where do we come from? Earth. Dirt. Dust to dust. Ashes to ashes. He's saying, listen, I want my kingdom. Jesus talked about this. He said it in Luke 17, 21. He said, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in you. See, it's not this planetary thing that maybe we've, we've often thought when we say his kingdom's coming. He says, listen, the kingdom is coming in you. Let, as you allow me to freely have reign in your life, the kingdom of God is coming. This is the only place, the safe place in the world today is abiding in his kingdom. Terror attacks, unknown violence. You look at our world, the tornadoes, all the things that can happen to us. Today we're here, tomorrow we're gone. Our life is fleeting, it's a mist. And yet we look at all these things, the only safe place. Well, I've heard people say, well, God's got it. I see, I hear people all the time, Christians saying, oh, God's got it. Really? Do we understand that we're in a fallen world? That the prince and power of the air is the ruler of this realm? The only way that God's got it is if he owns me. Any other way, he doesn't have it. Look at, you tell me. You tell me about the cancer. You tell me about the things you see going on. And how, does God have all those things right now? How we see, does God have it when someone's right? Does God have it when we we see the violence of these tornadoes? Does God have all that? See, the only way that God's got us is when we've submitted to him. And we're in that position of fully submitting to him. I talked to you about David Brainerd at the beginning. He prayed for four hours a day. He was a missionary to the Indians in the 1700s here in America. He became an example for the other Smith Wiggles, godly George Whitfield, men that we hear about. But you want to know what? He died at 29 years old of tuberculosis. It hit me hard because here I am at Sequoia Dawn, a tuberculosis hospital. That's how it was built. See, in the midst of this, in the midst of the chaos of this world, the only anchor I have, the only place that is secure, the only way that God's got it is if he has me, if he has ownership of me, if I belong to him. And in that position, it doesn't matter what happens. You say, well, Greg, you know, tomorrow you could be dying in a car accident. Yes, I could, but you know what? He's got me. He's got me. It doesn't matter what happens. It, see, we think, we think we're a soul. Or I should say this. We think we have a soul. C.S. Lewis said it like this. You are a soul, but you have a body. 
See, we are a soul, an eternal soul. This body's gonna pass away. It's dust in earth. See, I wanna change the way we pray this prayer. I want it to mean something. I want it to, see, I want us to understand that the Lord's prayer is corporate, is corporate, but it is also an offensive weapon against the enemy. Because he says it here, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The New Living Translation actually says the evil one. See, he is our deliverer. He keeps us from strength. It's not just evil itself, but it is the one who has instituted the evil. That's who he's protecting us from. Psalms 23, 3 says it like this. He guides me along the right path for his namesake, his isness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What he was saying is, listen, it doesn't matter what happens around me. You've got me. I belong to you. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This begins, the, this, this prayer begins with his reality, his isness, our Father who is. And it ends with his foreverness. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What an anchor in a life that is flee, fleeting, a vapor and a mist. Here and gone, he says it like this, and Psalms 23 adds it like this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, we begin with praise and adoration and hallowing this name. When we go in, from here on out, whenever we, we, we speak that again, when you go into your prayer time, you say, I don't have a prayer. You can begin it like this, Lord, hallowed be your name. And it should just spur up all this hallowing him, worshiping him, a meaning for, meaning for something that is powerful, understanding who God is when we pray that prayer. That's when it has power. Some of you this morning would say, Greg, it sounds like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're saying we can't, it shouldn't be vain repetition. No, it can't. It has to be something birthed in passion. Otherwise, it's meaningless. And you say, well, Greg, how come you at times, if you, you look at this and you see this repetitiousness and you say, well, what's going on? Because the Bible is very clear that I can look at the fruits of if we continue. Like the man who I told you was, was so adamant about praying over tortilla chips and abused his daughters. See, the foolishness how we operate as people sometimes. Today, as we close, we're going to say a corporate prayer. I'm going to ask you to follow me, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to elaborate on every point as we go through. So we're going to do, we're going to say it corporately together. I'm going to have you repeat it with me. I don't want this to be an empty prayer. I want this to be something that develops passion within us. Let's all stand this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Say it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Lord, you are I am. You are holy, worthy, mighty, matchless. There is none like you. Your name is to be kept holy and set apart. I give you praise, honor, glory, and power. To you I ascribe all majesty. I will honor your name above everything else. 610. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Lord, establish your rule and reign in me. I want you to just think about this as you pray this. I submit to your plan, purposes, and your ways. I surrender to your ownership. I have declared it as it is in heaven. Let it be spoken here on earth in me. Over us corporately, over my home, my family, our schools, over our church, over Springville, over our nation. I speak forth the kingdom of God. Bring divine order, divine alignment. Bring this kingdom, Lord. Let it start. Right here in me. 6.11 Give us this day our daily bread. Sustain us, Lord. Sustain me with your word. The very word that is my sustenance to life. You provide your grace for all that I need. I shall be satisfied. David said it like this. I shall not want. All I desire is found in you. I will, I will be content. I will be satisfied. You supply all my needs according to your riches in glory. 6.12 And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors as i have sinned as i have trespassed as i am indebted to you let me forgive those who have sinned and trespassed and are indebted to me lord here they are and in my prayer time i say their names lord here is this person who's hurt me here is this person who's harmed me my father my mother my my grandfather my my family lord these friends i speak their name right there and i give them to the lord and i ask the lord right there to honor them even now. I ask the blessing of God upon them. Lord, I ask right now that you would forgive them and forgive me. I want to honor them as the Bible says and David said it like this. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I don't know about you guys, but who wants to sit at a table with your enemies and have lunch? That doesn't make any sense, but he's saying, listen, I want you to bless them. I want you to honor them. So Lord, in our time today, as we forgive ourselves, as we forgive those around us. Lord, forgive me, I ask, those indebted to me. Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one who plots and plans my destruction, who sets his traps for me. Let him be caught in the very noose he has set for me. Let him fall into the very pit he has dug for me. I say as Jesus did in John fourteen thirty. Hereafter I will not talk much to you, for the prince of this world cometh, and he has nothing. He has no power in me. Everything that is Jesus is in me. Anything that's not Jesus must be removed. Keep my feet on the path that you have set for me. Guide my steps. Not me, let me not veer to the right or the left. I belong to you and to you alone, God. Last, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You are marvelous. You are wonderful. You are glorious, magnificent in power. Establish your inner, inner, eternal rule in this place. Praise be to God in the highest. I begin to worship the Lord with his very word. His love endures forever. He who reigns forever and ever. David said it like this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
begin to do work right there. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your promise. God, we have a prayer this morning. In your name, amen.